Welcome back, friends. We've got a fun show for you in two parts. The first part is where we're going to address a listener question about evangelism, the idea of sharing your good news with somebody else. Is there a bad way to do that? Is there a way that makes you feel bad and what to do about it? And then in the second part, we're going to have an interview with a student named Autumn. She was somebody that I met at a conference a couple summers ago, and she shared a poem that she wrote at an open mic night, and I thought, once we get this podcast going, we've got to have her on, because she, in many ways, I think, embodies this idea of boldness, this sassiness that is spiritually healthy. And for all you good folks out there that have kids, if you're worried, hey, maybe Jeff and Stacy are leading the kids astray, telling them to think for themselves and think what they think they should think, isn't that going to just lead them off into some very dangerous territory? I think what she demonstrates is that by giving young people and old the permission and encouragement to own their own beliefs, you tend to have a much healthier situation and one that I think is not necessarily going to take them away from the faith that you care about. So, enjoy. Well, friends, we're here right now recording for you in Dana Point. We're backed up right onto the beach and the water, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful day. The sun is out. It's starting to set. And one, there's the winds going, so there's all these sailboats out there, and it's just just a beautiful day. Folks, lighten up a fire. I can smell the fire. Mm -hmm. Maybe smelling it too much, (laughs) (laughs) but it's all right. It's a good smell. It's a good smell. I guess I'm more worried about my clothes kind of reeking of it later, but that's a sign that you've been having a good time. I think so. We are looking today at evangelism, and evangelism is this idea, if you're not part of a, a Christian community or you haven't grown up in the church, this is proselytizing. This is going out and, at least in its most base form, you're you're trying to get converts to the faith. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's important is for us, as we're, as we're talking about this, we are people who have a Christian background. We know a lot of our friends and listeners are not coming from a Christian background. And if you just want to kind of listen along, because this first question is about this idea of Christian evangelism, uh, the caller is somebody who's in seminary. That's somebody who's training to be a pastor. And so in that that process, he's going to be training in this idea of evangelism, and he's having some questions about the way it was done. But before we get into that again, th- the idea that somebody's going to share what they care about shouldn't be offensive to any of us. No. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't, don't, don't try to push your beliefs on me. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I think if you've got something you think is great, feel free to tell me about it. And we do this with each other all the time. Right. It's, it's that hmm, when you're trying to convert somebody when it when it feels like some sort of pyramid scheme mm-hmm. that it, it's like oh they they don't really care about me mm-hmm. they're just trying to sell me something and it's not even something that that seems like it really gives them that much like joy or something you know it's just some it feels like it all feels too contrived mm-hmm. and that's where you start to feel used like one of the things for instance we've talked about before but when we go past restaurants and if there's somebody standing outside trying to lure you in maybe with the the great deal you're gonna get you know on your buy one get one free drinks or you know or two dollar shots bro 20 percent off or something who knows but they're they're luring you or they're trying to get you to come in to their place to eat 
I don't want to go to that place. What I what I look for instead is where is the long line? You know, mm-hmm. even though it, it it isn't always fun to wait in line, you know that there's something good going on there. There's something that people want, and it, their food or whatever it is sells itself. Yeah, it's quality. <laughs> you know, it's something and, you want to come back for. So that is that's where you that's where you want to go. You want to go to the place where the thing sells itself rather than you having to be a salesman. Mm-hmm. But we'll go ahead and let's play the let's play his call. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think then we'll we'll discuss after because it, it's a it's a great it's a great question. Hi Jeff and Stacy, I've really enjoyed listening to the first episodes of your podcast. I I found Virtue and Wasteland last year. It opened up some doors for me mentally um, that have been really helpful, um, especially thinking about how the religion of cruel power tends to make its way into everything. Um, I'm in my first year at seminary, um, studying to be a pastor. I realized recently that I had some guilt in the area of evangelism. Um, this came to a head when I received a well-meaning assignment for a class to have a spiritual conversation with someone outside of the church. When I received the assignment initially, I had a sensation of anger that I wasn't really sure how to deal with. Um, this created some guilt and, and shame too. the whole, like, am I a bad Christian for not wanting to talk about Jesus kind of thing. Um, I realized though, um, partially from reflecting on some of your observations in an earlier episode, that this feeling of anger and even kind of disgust with the assignment reflected the mistrust that I have of being manipulated. Um, the idea of some, asking someone I care about to have a conversation about Jesus, which I will then be turning in as an assignment, struck me as deeply troubling. I'm trusting my gut on this one. I'm not going to use a friendship to try to sell something in some kind of artificial way. Um, but this thought process made me think, if this isn't the way to evangelize, then what is? Um, if we aren't going out as like Jesus salesmen trying to convince people they need saving, then what are we doing? Um, I have something pretty phenomenal, and the effects of gospel are far-reaching. Um, the non-transactional love of God has has an effect, changes the way we see things. Um, I want the world to know the lengths God's gone to bring us back to him, but I just want to know how we avoid turning it into this frantic, guilt-driven effort to keep the institutional church going or to maintain our status as actually following Jesus commands or this sort of transactional thing. Um, it just seems like that's our, our default. Um, is there a different way to think about the way that we proclaim the gospel that doesn't just slip right back over into Molech land? Um, one way to look at it, I suppose, is that your insights on teaching the faith have been really helpful. I'm wondering if tackle the idea of preaching the faith um, how we go about spreading the message and um, proclaiming it out to the world as well. Um, And how does that desire to go and make disciples stay true to the one who gave the command? Thanks for everything. Peace. Well, all right. Now, I want to say, too, that, that, uh, you know... no, no hard feelings to his prof if we don't fully agree with the way his prof was going about this. It's and as he said himself, there was probably there was no you know ill will or anything no. in there. It was just something that he realized that he felt uncomfortable with. And I first I want to mention that anytime you are you know being asked to do something or whatever, and or or there's something that evokes certain emotions in you, mm-hmm. it's always a good thing to stop and listen to them 
yeah. to those uh, those feelings and try to process like where is this coming from? Why do I feel this way? And it might just be something that in your past, you know, it re- recollect something that was hurtful or damaging or something to you. Or it could be that the person that is asking you to do something is actually manipulating you in some way. So it, it, there's a number of reasons, but it, there's growth that can happen in healing often when you're willing to listen to, let those, let those emotions sit for a second, listen to them and try to figure out what's the source of it, right? Don't sweep your perceptions under the rug. And in this case, it might be that not only is it something that you're feeling, but if you're feeling that, other people might be feeling that. And what we're finding is that sometimes doing this evangelism in, in an uncomfortable way or an unhealthy way is actually self-defeating, mm. right? People, yeah. people are going to want to move away from you if they think that you are the robot church monster just trying to get human batteries in to pay for the lights and the PowerPoint projector and the, and the heat, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. for this big, this big building with right. all the things that go on on a Sunday. If that's what you're trying to do, and sometimes it is what people are trying to get you to do, that is they want church growth because they need adherence to keep the thing moving. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case and people sniff that out, it's actually going to be self-defeating. Mm-hmm. And, and if you feel like you have to compromise on what is being said or the message that is shared so you don't offend anybody to yeah. keep more people in, you're also going to lose your relevance and your purpose for coming together in this community as well. So there's a fine line there. You, you really just need to, if, if it comes from your heart mm-hmm. to share that this place is where you want to be, then that, it, that speaks the world, you know, mm-hmm. of a difference. And it actually would be more encouraging for somebody to come and, and pay attention to your earlier comment about restaurants, you know, I want to go to a restaurant where people are saying, hey, I'm going to give you a hot tip. Mm-hmm. This place is good. You definitely want to go check this out. Mm-hmm. Or the locals are saying, you know, where are yeah. the locals going? You know, how- yeah. <laughs> And when they do this, this is, I consider this a, uh, a, a, great, a great gift that you've given me, right? Right. So if you're shutting up about some spiritual reality that you've discovered because you're embarrassed, well, don't be embarrassed. That's silly. You know, if you feel it, if you believe it, if it seems to you that you found something that is true and good and beautiful, then of course you're going to share it. We don't shut up. I mean, to be honest, (laughs) you're you're actually getting to be one of the worst culprits in the sense that you'll find some book or a, a video or, you know, something that we've experienced like, you know, hey, come to yoga, Aiden, or let's mm-hmm. the, come up to the church with us and help us feed the homeless because it's so much fun. You don't have any bashfulness right. about, about right. talking a right. lot about something that you found that's cool, and neither do I. Now, one thing I, I will say, it is also, it's important that you uh, listen to the people <laughs> that you are talking to, and if they just aren't interested, there is nothing that you can say at a certain point. They've already stopped listening. Right. So, you know, maybe don't waste your breath anymore in that moment, at least, because <laughs> I don't think it's going to help to keep, you know, I, at a certain point, I know when I look at Aiden's face, you know, he's our youngest, and that when I'm trying to say something, the more I keep talking about it will probably shut him off from it altogether. Right. I need to stop. And I, even if I r- come back to it at a later time, or even start asking questions as to well, what, a, uh, what about this, uh, you know, is 
making you you know uncomfortable or not wanting to hear or something like that that kind of thing just to kind of get to the bottom of it because sometimes it has nothing to do with what I'm saying it's just that he's super busy and he needs to get off and go do some homework Mm. (laughs) you know and that isn't the right time to talk to him that happens also I think he wants especially since we're you know all over the place you know with exciting new ideas and new adventures I think it's important for him to see us really settle in on something for a mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. and to see a change in us. And this takes us to this big question that I think people misunderstand. There's a quote that's been going around for a while, and it's falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And it goes something like, preach the gospel at all times using words when necessary. And then there's the other side. There are the kind of conservative Christians, especially in the Lutheran world, that say that the healing power of the gospel comes through the preached word. So when somebody says you are forgiven, you're giving them this good news, and it is something that is heard. And this is, this is true. Being told that you are loved is a really powerful change of reality. When the early church called each other brother and sister, it changed the reality. It didn't just teach them some concept or a proposition of truth. It said, I am calling you brother or sister, and we are treating you as brother or sister because we are one in Jesus. What Jesus does is reconciles us to the holy, to God, and then we are able in a non-transactional way, as the listener suggests, that non-transactional reality is something that we embody. Mm-hmm. But very often people hear that and they say, you know, like for for us when we grew up, it was like, did that mean that we are going to be goody two-shoes? We're going to be squares in Squaresville. And then people are going to say, oh, look at how holy they are. We're going to go join their holy club, you know. I don't think you win people over that way at all. No, and when it certainly, certainly wasn't working in that regard. But there is another thing that's very similar, and that is this idea in John, First John. Mm-hmm. You will know they are Christians by their love. Right. Or they will know that you are Christians by your love. By your love, right? yes. Now, that isn't to be a person who doesn't drink or cuss or, or watch an R-rated movie. It's to say there's something unique about you. There's something unique about the way you see me. There's something, the, the, the way you treat me is different. Mm-hmm. And that is biblical. That's what Jesus talks about. That's what the apostles later on after Jesus talk about. And what makes me uncomfortable is it's almost as if in conservative Christianity that doing anything that is a visible act of kindness is oh, like it's judged as sort of like as if you're trying to earn self, you know, that you're trying to earn your salvation. That you're, you're, yeah, and it that's not. I mean, it can be that that's sure. that you're that that's your that's motivation and that's what you're doing. Then yeah, I don't that doesn't that doesn't do anybody any good because people see through the forcedness of that kindness, mm. but kindness that just flows out of you mm-hmm. that just is because that's who you are people gravitate towards those kinds of things i and i'd say it's not just who you are but who the gospel has transformed you into exactly because not because of your willpower not because of of your you know being infused with some kind of magic power but rather your eyes have been opened to a different way of seeing yourself and others. Yeah. And I think many conservative Christians, I, I tweeted this, and, and I was wondering, I said, many conservative Christians are vocally against attempts to make the world less crappy. 
I'm seeing this. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time too. It's, it's now it, maybe you don't, friends, because you're in a different kind of world. But in my world, in a in a very kind of Protestant world, the idea that you're going to do something to transform the world and really make it a better place is usually viewed in in my closer circles with great suspicion, and that makes me uncomfortable. And I suggest a few possible reasons for it. I say a people like being bad so they just <laughs> it might to... be they don't want to have to change their behavior they don't think that you know so they're happy with who they are how they how they act and they don't want to do anything different and by the way again if you're not feeling it then to to fake it <laughs> is, is yeah, going to be seen you. as fake fake faking anyway. it anyway yeah. so there's no point in attempt in doing that right there, mm-hmm. I, I would say just yes be who you are continue to be that and and don't pretend to be something other than that. But when I was a kid, when I first started getting into Christianity, I never thought in a million years that there would be a group of Christians who would be kind of angry at me for for talking about the importance of caring for refugees or uh, yeah, you know, I, d- I don't get it. I people really impoverished don't. in the city or something and or, or or caring about the environment or caring about animals. In other words, I get this sense that that's weak sauce. That that's 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 not what Christians are. Christians are the tough kids. And I don't know how that... I don't know, I don't know how when that, that came changed about. or how that ever, yeah. I suggest uh, option B is... Well, and think about it. The hospitals and stuff, they're often named... It's, you know, even if it doesn't really have a religious f- affiliation anymore, it came about because people caring for other people. Was a mark of what Christians did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, B, is it that helping others looks too liberal? I think that's the biggest issue, that after... You know, the rise of modernism, the churches that did not really believe in miracles and the supernatural aspects of Christianity tended to focus their lives on social justice and works of mercy. And so those who were more conservative, they would say, wait a minute, that looks a little fishy over there. If you're too concerned about social causes, then that must mean that you don't believe in the actual doctrine. But I'd say that that's not entailed, right? <laughs> no. You can, if you really are serious about Jesus and you follow what he says, he's going to be concerned about people that are in need. And in fact, you know, it's really strange that people don't get how, how closely tied the message of Christianity is to the way we see people who are naked and starving and in prison. This is how Jesus says as, as he sets up this image I don't think it's healthy to take this as overly literal, but he's saying that in this last judgment picture, there are the sheep and the goats. And the and the weird thing is, people who think that they're the sheep because they've got the right logo, they go to the right denomination, they think that they've got Jesus' message, but they are surprised to find that Jesus is saying, you didn't you didn't figure out what I was saying. You don't understand what I was saying. Well, and, and then in, there's the, the verse, like, where were you when I was hungry and needed this food? This is exactly that verse. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, okay. I'm saying that. So, so he okay. says, so, so say that. Yeah. So, and he says, where were you when I, when I was hungry and needed to be fed? You know, where, what, where were you when I needed clothes? You know, I, mm. it is in these moments where we embody that love of Christ if we're the if, if we're the followers of his if we're his followers yeah. you embody that only we could only even begin to have done that because of Christ what Christ has done for us what his example to us for and, us yeah and and the the fact that we don't we don't need to worry about earning our salvation 
yes, allows us allows you the freedom yeah. to then go and and look at the world with the love. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. You know, non-transactional, so, unconditional love. Yeah. It's not anything that you're doing to earn anything or to prove that you are of this group. It flows out of you naturally. And isn't it interesting then that people who think that they're not in the club, all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, thanks a lot. You did a good job, you know, following my way. Yeah. And so, you know, to this question of how to, you know, really think about evangelism, I don't know what, I don't know what, say, Xavier Rudd. Xavier Rudd's a musician from um, from Australia we like. We've seen him a few times. And sometimes he will talk in ways, I don't know what his religious values are, but I know that he's talking in ways that are very consistent with the way of Jesus, with the logic of Jesus that is, that is merciful, compassionate, and unconditionally loving. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people who say, I have the, the cultural name of Jesus. I have this, you know, Jesus is my mascot, but I'm but I'm generally pretty cool with being cruel. Now, this this can get tricky because there are those people that are uptight saying there's the there's the spiritual Christians and then there's the carnal Christians. There's the real Christians who go the extra mile and all these other people that should feel guilty. That's not it. There's just there's just people who follow the way of Jesus. That's the church. But just because and, and we've had some I've seen that we've had some some listeners say something like this and get some pushback just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian and a lot of people want to say no you know if you're baptized into it that is what makes you a Christian and I know that that's what we're supposed to say in the maybe the Catholic Church or the magisterial Protestant Church and the people who deny that are the Baptists and the Charismatics and Mm -hmm. the Anabaptists the radical reformers I think sometimes they get too extreme right like they want to make sure you get rid of all the 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 phony Christians in the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. But right. the idea is just having the right logo and having a badge or having your name on the membership rolls of the quote unquote right denomination doesn't really guarantee that you've got it. And I think we should separate all this out from the question of whether you're going to hell or not. I'm not <laughs> talking about that. There's somebody who could, you could say that person, God loves that person. That person doesn't need to worry about hell, but they totally don't get it. Mm -hmm. That's what we're saying. There are people who just don't get get it it yet. And when people do get it, it changes everything. People want to come to them and say, give me what you've got. And we've seen it over and over in our own lives and in other people's lives. And I I know you can, you know, maybe, you know, go too far with analogies, but I do want to bring up last week, we had spoken a a little bit about uh, Jesus and and Luke. And in in chapter five, and specifically here, half a verse of 10 and and then all of 11 it says and jesus said to simon don't be afraid from now on you'll be catching people after bringing the boats to shore they left everything behind and followed him so they were when they were fishing they let down their nets and all the fish came into their nets Mm -hmm. right and now he's saying well now you're going to be catching people you're gonna let down your nets and the the people will come when you're when you're sharing that message it, the people are drawn to it. Mm-hmm. it. You don't have to go out spear fishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't. People and in or... fact, even in Matthew, when it says when the disciples or the apostles are sent out, that if there's pe- the town that doesn't want to receive them or a house that doesn't want to have them, then shake the dust off your feet and keep moving. That's fine. Yeah, keep going. You know, for those that have ears to hear and and you know eyes to see, like that they, they will, the message will will they'll be Wake drawn up. to it. Yeah, you know, they'll. Wake up. They'll, they'll, come, they'll come for the life. Yeah, and, and, and 
back to that idea of preach the gospel at all times, use the words if necessary. Mm-hmm. I think it's all of it. I think it's I think that that sentiment, again, he didn't say that, but that sentiment isn't as far off as some conservative Christians want to pretend that it is. That that actually the the way that we communicate is through a pat on the the shoulder, mm-hmm. being able to touch somebody who's deformed or has leprosy, uh, being able to call somebody who is in a different social class, brother or sister. These are words, but they're also deeds. Mm-hmm. And then there's deeds without words. The idea is this this embodiment of the new way. Well, and, and Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that even mean then if it's not this? Yeah, that we, we embody the kingdom. And I think, you know, some people in our circles that are very close to us and, and we respect them would say it's really bad to say that we live out the gospel or we embody the gospel. I think that the way that they're thinking of it as kind of a, a, a very legalistic kind of preaching the gospel, I understand what they're saying and that seems to make sense. But... The idea then, maybe if we separate it out from the gospel, you know, living the gospel, but Mm -hmm. we do live the kingdom. We do embody the kingdom. And it is a kingdom informed by non-transactional love. That's this good news kingdom, right? right? So because of the good news, a new kind of kingdom is possible. A new kind of logic is possible. And just to to follow up uh, and to to finish up about those reasons why sometimes when we try to make the, the world less crappy, when we, when we kind of push in that direction, some conservative Christians don't like it. We said, it might be that they like being bad. It might be, B, that it looks too li- liberal. But C, I think sometimes banks own their minds. And that is a tricky business. We can maybe discuss it in, in a future episode. But there's a way in which the gospel is a threat to power, and it's a threat to unchecked capitalism. And, right. and, and just the idea that profit is all that matters instead of people. We can't let our guard down from that. That We're not saying that, that anybody has the, the easy answer on how to address pro- poverty. But if the gospel has nothing to do with your concern for people that are poor or, or are hurting, I think you might be getting it wrong. Right. right? Because he, Jesus says, hey, go tell them, you know, I'm, I'm bringing good news. I'm bringing good news to the poor. Yeah. Right? It's not a Marxist revolution, but it, but it is something that says that we are going to start being concerned about people that we didn't realize were our family. And I think when we do that too loudly, there are church-related organizations, Christian universities, publications, publishers. There are all sorts of ways in which maybe people don't realize they're doing it, but money is kind of manipulating people subtly indirectly into not really preaching the real good news, but preaching a good news that's basically just making ourselves feel better about our exploitation. And, and that's a serious issue. And it's a real issue. And it seems well, rather and, common. And, and for some people, it, it's a way of trying to put their mind at ease for times when they either cut corners or are doing things that might indirectly hurt other people or, like you said, exploit them. Mm-hmm. If they, if their, if their way of feeding their family, keeping a roof over their head, somewhat depends on the backs of other people, yeah, and the suffering of other then, people, and the suffering of other people, that they don't really want to think about that, and they don't want to think about having to stop doing that because it seems really hard to figure out how not to. Yeah, but again, all the best Christian thinkers on this have said the church's job is to be prophetic and to say that we need to care about people who are hurting. We don't have the expertise to tell you how to fix it, 
But this idea that we're going to disregard it is not Christian whatsoever, and it is not the gospel. And it's not law either. It's just saying, do you realize that we are all in this together? That is part of what Jesus reminds us of. And then I had uh, option D is that global happiness seems impossible to people. People, I think, have lost hope that that there's even a chance that we can bring medicine to the world, that we can make the world a slightly better place. And it can be really overwhelming, you Mm. know, to think of how much suffering is out there. And yeah, like, how do you even begin? You know, Mm. (laughs) is what often, you know, some will say. And I I do like the, the Lao Tzu quote where it says the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step yeah and so that is a, that maybe that little piece of kindness you can show or love that you can show somebody in your life on a day mm-hmm. that can just start that tiny little ripple effect you know mm-hmm. we, we talk about that song so many years ago it only takes a spark to get a fire going you know it's that That's how it works it's that little that little bit of love and and people they want to be heard. They want to be accepted. They need love. And they need love. Mm-hmm. And they want love. So our friend Kristen Koenig, we were hanging out uh, later on Wednesday night and with some friends. And, and Kristen, we haven't seen Kristen in a while. And she was talking about the ways in which it can get overwhelming if we look at changing society. Like right? the environment or whatever. But, um, but you have these people in your life. They're not abstractions. And then as you touch these people's lives with hope and faith and love, and then they then pass that on, that's how the kingdom really does get going. And it starts to take on exponential growth if we take it seriously. And if folks are trying to stop you from starting that spark, I don't know. You might want to go somewhere else. You want to hang out somewhere else. Are they trying to stop the kingdom of heaven here on earth? It's possible that they are. Then there's E, and this is the final one that I thought. Some previous attempts turned violent and culty. That was, I think, the most legitimate argument that I could think of for why you would be cautious about being concerned about the poor or social injustice. Because so often when people have tried to confront social injustice, what came after it was worse than what right. was before. And so, and this is true in the history of the church, whenever there are these, these millennial movements of these prophetic kind of charismatic people that want to get rid of all the evil in the world, it often turns into a bloodbath. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I get that. That's like the city of Munster. Well, or, and then, or these so-called utopians end up, you know, <laughs> these societies or whatever just become... You know, it, it's not sustainable, right. <laughs> you know, as we've looked at. And then and then often sometimes people take advantage of the power that they have yeah. in the leaders of, of that group that they no might. No matter how good it is. Yeah, yeah that that that's, that power is just too tempting mm-hmm. to sometimes, you know, just. And it, it is because it does start with something special, right, yeah. that people are drawn to. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked in the first place if it wasn't powerful in its own way. And then and then they get a little addicted to that that power and it corrupts yeah so when we look at evangelism here uh i i don't think then it's 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 not healthy to think of it as you're going on an assignment of trying to you know go see if you can you know convert some people notches on your spiritual belt (laughs) right i mean first of all it, it doesn't feel right i think to the person that's trying to tackle it that way right um and it's not going to be effective it just won't be. That's the thing. Right. And so, you Wait, know. There it's goes just, a train, the Pacific Surfliner. 
What did you used to do, baby, when you when you were in the ocean? What was the little uh, superstition? You put up your feet, you know, from the <laughs> ground. So you're sitting there, and you, of course you're still sitting down, yeah. but your feet have to come up off the ground. Why was that though? Why? Well, what about having? I your have feet? no idea. I don't know. I have anyway, no idea. but that's exactly what we would <laughs> I'm do. Sorry, I took you off track. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. But so. If you're doing it that way, it's like you're being a bad salesman and it's not, I mean, in fact, now it's more work for somebody that comes through with, you know, with true intentions or an actual love of it to have to overcome your, your sloppy salesman job the first time, right? To gain the person's trust uh, or, or even for them to even listen, to hear the message. So I'd say, you know, it's not even worth doing. There's another, an example, like I, I don't know that. I was walking through the neighborhood and there was a, a older woman who I think she was in her eighties. I ended up having a conversation with her later that she you know, said hi or something. And I said hi back and, and then asked her how she was. I could tell that she seemed to want to, to talk a little bit. And, and, and she was sharing a story with me about this other little girl that she passed by. And we ended up, talking in a little while into the conversation she said you're a christian right <laughs> and i'm like well yeah and she said well i, I can tell she said I, I see the light in you and i'm not saying this to toot my own horn or anything i, I guess what that's I'm saying, jesus namaste <laughs> what i'm saying is is that it, it threw me off even for her to but she's like you're different she goes i walk by people in this neighborhood all the time and and most people won't even say hi or just barely, you know, and, and they won't look at me. And, and you looked me in the eye and you said, hi, I, you know, she's like, I, you know, I, I've lived in this neighborhood actually since the seventies. To be fair, we are in Irvine, the least spiritually, you know, well, alert the, place. And I mean, the it's community just not a place is actually that, yeah. built so that you don't have interactions with yeah. your neighbor. And maybe some people are, would even be drawn to that living situation because they do want to, you know, be more kept to themselves. In my classes on the Hellenistic era, I talk about the way in which Vegas is the embodiment of hedonism. If you look that up, <laughs> I think you'll see. And then uh, <laughs> Epicureanism is really carried forward by Irvine, where it's mm. moderate pleasure, some healthiness, but... You don't really concern yourself too much about the gods or spirituality. It's just you know, have a clean cut life. Don't don't mm-hmm. party too hard. It that's that's pretty much what it is. And you know, if that's what you want to do, then here it is, and get yourself a guard gated community. It's fine. But what I'm what I'm trying to say here though is that there there are often times when. Okay, sometimes, like, obviously, we are just not in the spirit at all. We've had bad days or whatever. Grumpy <laughs> a-holes. We can be that. And nobody will come up no to us. No one's coming to Jesus through <laughs> but our there grumpy. But <laughs> there are other times in our life when we, I don't know what it is, but people have been drawn to come and talk to us. And, and we didn't even, you know, sometimes, it, I don't know, they just stop, grab us for a second and say, hey, you guys got to come over here or something. A second. We've been, we've, <laughs> like, we've had our, our batteries drained pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and I think the, but the, but the lesson there is what did those moments have in common? It was when we had listened to the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's the key. If you want to know how to be good at sharing the good news, then you've got to hear the good news. That's why we go all the way back to one of our earlier episodes, that idea of being able to have compassion on your shadow self, being able to love the enemy within you, being able to have compassion on the miserable screw-ups that you do, then all of a sudden... only then that that people will see that 
you get it. Like <laughs> If you're self-judgmental, you're going to be accidentally judgmental towards others. Absolutely. It will come out of you they, and then and then not going to feel comfortable. They'll they'll feel that judgment. The other thing I want to mention too is some, another tactic that often is used to lure people in is sort of, you know, find something they need, whether it be food or mm. clothes or something. And so you're, you know, you as a church are offering something for free, but then Later, all of a sudden, you do like a little bait and switch, Mm -hmm. and then you expect them to either become a member or something to keep receiving the benefits, or sometimes the benefits just go away, period. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be offering food or or certain things maybe to help, you know, encourage people to come. A lot of the time, we should do more of that, giving people what their daily needs are. What we don't want to do is a bait and switch mentality, though, of taking something like that away. You're bribing You're either that community, and you will you do that Mm -hmm. or or you don't but to use something like that as a tool to just kind of trick people that also won't settle well and it won't be a lasting uh it won't be a lasting faith for them it won't be uh, a a, you know a, a total like understanding of what the what the gospel is what jesus is all about and how you love your neighbor you know, that's one of the reasons why we're so excited about doing this whole series of Protector Noggin with Jesus, because a lot of people just never had the chance to actually hear the crazily cool, interesting things that Jesus was saying. I mean, Jesus' teachings are amazing, and you don't even have to do anything but just sit there and listen to them and, and, and reflect and say, wow, this is, this is amazing. So often, the reason people can't hear that message is because there's dudes with bullhorns outside of, you know, the 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 stadium, you know, in LA we're going to see a Rams game and they're they're just talking about hell and it's just they it's were just also very doing, negative. They were doing that in New Orleans too. You yeah. know, there was a little stand there and, and I you megaphones know, and I know they 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 mean well too and they're trying to, to call people to repentance. I get it. But, you know, if it doesn't work it it doesn't work, right? I mean, and sometimes people aren't listening because of the way you're saying it. I think when you see somebody sitting there on the curb that just looks totally hopeless, you know, while they've been at a night of partying in New Orleans, and you sit down next to them and say, "How are you doing?" Right. Like that might, you know, that that's maybe where they need you need to meet them at, not the bullhorn. Right. You know, shouting, you know, that they're going to be judged and all of this. By the way, I just saw Badger Smith just replied to my tweet about why don't some conservative Christians want to make the world less crappy he says i want to make the world less crappy but don't trust the government to do it uh, in extreme examples but often good ideas get eaten up by corruption the church salvation army uh, any of us on any given day can be the hands and feet of god so i, I like that response that mm-hmm. is that if what you're saying is i don't trust the government to do this that's a political angle that i understand we're kind Absolutely. of anarchists ourselves all right so I and think a lot of that's times, all we're saying. And a lot of times when it's this, these formalized things that more money goes to the organization and the people running it than it actually yeah. gets to the people. So yeah. I understand that there, you want to look into, especially if you're ever going to support a cause, you want to look into where exactly is that money going and, and is it yeah. actually helping the if people? If you go carry in pictures of <laughs> Chairman Mao, you ain't going to make it with anyone anyhow. <laughs> you don't You don't need to, to have some, some secular parody of Christianity for it to work. What I'm saying is, because especially in America, there's such a... Uh, an aversion to this kind of uh, big, you know, big government, uh, maybe socialist angle. And I, I think we, we overdo how bad that would be for Christians. Just, I think 
haven't grown up in the shadow of the Cold War. Anything that smacks of you know uh, socialism at all is seen as is dangerous. But let's let's leave that be. That has nothing to do with whether or not the individuals within the church are permitted to ignore that. And that's what I'm starting to see more and more in affluent suburban evangelicalism and Lutheranism and Presbyterianism. The idea that not only should we not have the government solve the problem, but that we're not concerned either. And if we and if we do any actions and we're trying to earn our salvation, yeah, it immediately no. gets labeled as yeah. that. No, 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 no. That's that is a very dangerous corruption. Of and things. and to even to judge other people for their motives is yeah. you know you you've got to look inward and what are your motives when you're doing something and right. if it is if it's not altruistic, then yeah, like, then don't do it. Then yeah. don't do if it. you just want to be, I guess. Although you know, if I'm hungry and you want to be self righteously giving me something to eat and I'm starving, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I'll, for, I'll forgive you for your bad motives for feeding me. I'd rather that than something <laughs> that's, else. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. But so, what does real evangelism look like? And I think it's when you are. It's that when only through the authority that is based on this truth that mm. doesn't depend on your status yeah. or degrees. It's that you are confident in the unconditionality. Mm. Wait, nope. sorry. You, sorry. You are confident that you are unconditionally loved by the infinite. And that you can then assure other people that that's theirs too. Right. And so if you truly believe this, then you might be able to just find some peace and some salvation from that you know, self-imposed hell that you might be living in right mm. now. And then you can truly taste and see that God is good in this way. And it will be hard for you to stop talking about it. If you taste and see. If you taste and see. It's hard to shut up. Um, and, and if it seems appropriate, then you might even share this message with those other people that have ears to hear you. But it's not about courage. Okay? Courage is overcoming a fear. It's, it's a boldness that you would have. Because you really just, this is coming out of you. You almost can't stop yourself yep. from sharing. And then when you have <laughs> that confidence, then it like, it doesn't really matter what other people say. Like yeah. it doesn't, like whatever arguments they put up, because you're like, I, I, I just know this. You yeah, know? sorry. Sorry, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think it's important, obviously, to be open to what other people are saying. Yeah, maybe, we could be self-deluded. Maybe sure. they can change, change your mind, you yeah. know. But when you just, when you have that confidence, and it, and the whole thing is, is it's the boldness of knowing that you are a son or daughter of heaven and that there's nothing your enemies can take from you. That's the key. Since the whole of the universe is your inheritance. That's how evangelism happens, baby. Yes. Just let it bleed right out of you. All the happiness and joy. Just let it spill right out into the world and let people say, "Yeah, this is where it's at. <laughs> That's how the whole world yes. caught on fire with the, the whole Christian message originally. You know, and then of course it became, after, you know, after Constantine and, and then Charlemagne and then you know America the Beautiful, we've kind of turned it into a cultural uh, mascot, mm. Jesus. But but the message, man, is pretty is it's pretty very amazing. Very powerful. Is it time to transition now over to our? No, absolutely. Okay, so let's let's now move over to uh, the, our conversation with this delightful young woman, Autumn, and uh, her interview. Really starting with that first line that we thought was so powerful. That first line is that she said, my mom says that true faith is really lonely. Now, I don't know if exactly that's how she says it, but that, that idea that true faith is lonely, and we've really been wrestling with that. Yeah, and I think, I think how she says it is it gets lonely when you have true faith. Yeah, because 
you you have that boldness, and so that you're going to take those stands. But what's easier is to just look around at the person on your right and the person on your left, and you just do what they're doing. And some people that are toting the the label, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you feel like oh, this is the, they have such a different message. So standing up and being bold is going to make you some enemies. People are going to leave you. They don't want to hear sometimes what yeah. what you're going to say. There's a distribution of the people who get this. And when you see them, they're your instant friends. Yeah, oh, that's true. And, and it you, goes, you know, it, it's like it, it goes so deep that it's as if you knew each other all along. Yeah, we've had a lot of <laughs> yeah. that in the last six months. Before I get there, I want to say that one of the things that kept coming up, both because of our podcast and the last couple episodes talking about this idea that you should think what you think you should think and you should do what you think you should do. We're not saying that you should just do anything you want. We're saying that you have to think critically and you have to own your beliefs and actions. And that if we're telling people not to own their beliefs and actions, but rather let somebody else do their thinking for them, that is incredibly dangerous. And it leads to further abuse. It leads to manipulation. And all we really can do is do what we think we should do. And we have to ask, should I listen to authorities? Should I listen to the Bible? Should I listen to reason? Whatever that is. That's going to be up to the individual. But really, this is, not, this is not as big and as broad as people tend to think about it. We're talking about this in terms of trauma and people's agency. And so I want to read from this book that's so important, I think, for dealing with the questions of trauma and recovery. And that is Vander Kolk's um, book. We'll have it in the show notes on protectyournoggin.org for this particular podcast. But it is The Body Keeps the Score. He's talking about the ways in which trauma influences and affects our physiology. But he's talking here about this idea of agency, really important for um, overcoming the effects of trauma. He says, quote, agency is the technical term for the feeling of being in charge of your life, knowing where you stand, knowing that you have a say in what happens to you, knowing that you have some ability to shape your circumstances. He continues, Knowing what we feel is the first step to knowing why we feel that way. Just to pause there and think, for our caller, it doesn't matter whether or not we're right or wrong or he's right or wrong about evangelism, but it is important for us to practice taking those perceptions seriously. If it doesn't feel right, note that. Right. Don't ignore that. And try to figure out the source of that. Vanderkolk goes on, he says, If we are aware of the constant changes in our inner and outer environment, we can mobilize to manage them. But we can't do this unless our watchtower learns to observe what is going on inside us. This is why mindfulness practice is a cornerstone of recovery from trauma. Many of my patients have survived trauma through tremendous courage and persistence, only to get into the same kinds of trouble over and over again. Trauma has shut down their inner compass and robbed them of the imagination they need to create something better. And so I wanted to read this as we transition over to this idea of a follow-up, really, from last week when we were talking about being sassy. Jesus encourages us Mm -hmm. to be sassy. Here's a young woman. I think she's got that sass. I think she's got that boldness. And even though we didn't know where she was going to go with this, we thought maybe she was going to tell us that she's no longer affiliated with Christianity. And this was a poem you heard a year and a half ago. And so she's grown up, you know, in in this time and graduated from high school since then. And, and it, it is really interesting of you listen here, how much she 
takes ownership of her own faith. And there's not, that's to me was very encouraging. And I, I want to see more young people do this wherever they end up in the whole process, because bottom line, if they don't own their faith, it isn't, it's, it doesn't mean anything anyway. Some parents listen to us and say, I'm worried what you sound, uh, what you say sounds nice, but I'm worried that what you're saying also would lead to my kids, you know, leaving the faith that I think is important and living dangerous lives. And we haven't seen that. Now, we have seen people leave their parents' religion, but by and large, they develop their own individual maturity and they're going to be what they're going to be anyway, for the most part. And it, it doesn't mean that they won't come back around. Yeah. You know, trying Or maybe to... they're going to get you onto a better track. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we think Autumn's a pretty cool young woman. And we're really glad that she was able to be really caring with us. Yeah, we were grateful for her sharing. So I hope you all uh, listen and, and, and enjoy. Squalid economic wind blew you off the coast of soul into the grip of the U.S. Marines You saw things you'd never seen And you missed your wife And the tale she told at night And the cadence call Of your ear against her heart And she prayed for your safe return A tempest forged you into something new Did things thought that you would do or find just escape but lost your sight water took more than it gave it back an albatross let us in the dark oh it died on deck we all mourned its death still neptune rage showed no mercy that day a siren song that you knew all along still you prayed for my safe Sirens 
secrets. So, Autumn, if you wouldn't mind, it would be could could you read your poem to us? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I have it right here. My mom said it gets lonelier when you have true faith. But maybe I'm just lonely because I have two faces, or three, or four, or six, or eight. I'm changing faster than the moon. I guess I'm going through phases. But let's get back to what she said about my true faith. Tell me what's a faith that crumbles at every sign of despair. Tell me who's worse, the ones who curse God or the ones that just don't care. It used to be that Sunday morning was my weekly saving grace. Now I shuffle through aisles awkwardly trying to find my place. And I try to read my Bible, but it don't speak to me the same. I swear I sometimes wonder if it's saying anything. I see all these people where they seem like good Christians. They buy all the t-shirts. They go on all the missions. They praise Jesus, 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 and I have an admission. Sometimes when I'm around them, I feel like less of a Christian. You post Bible verses on your Insta stories every night and day, but when was the last time you saw me and so much as said, hey, oh, you're going to Kenya to help out the poor? May I ask what those plane tickets cost before you head out the door? I'm glad Jesus is calling you to do something you want to do. I'm so glad you finally found a God that makes sense to you. Wait, isn't that what those Kenyan heathens do? But let's be real. Maybe I'm tearing down your faith because I'm ashamed of mine. Praise Jesus, Jesus, Jesus only when I have the time. I raise my hands in worship, but I don't raise my mind. I know all the theology. I've studied all the lines. But when it comes to praying, I just don't have the time. I cringe when my Pentecostal friend said God spoke to sorry. I cringe when my Pentecostal friend said God spoke to her in a vision. Like, can we back off on the relationship stuff and get back to religion? Who am I anymore? I don't know what I've become. There was no fall from grace, just a slow, steady fade. And the fact is, I knew it all along and went along like, okay. Now I'm wondering if this God stuff was just another phase. Like, sure, I'll take a hit if it gets me high enough. And when I plateau, I'll take one more puff. I need a breakthrough, a holy revival. The only time that's happened is when I was solely focused on survival. I'm not grateful for the depression, but I have to admit, sometimes I miss who I met during it. He was power and truth and a white hot love, that baptismal awakening descending like a dove. And that's when I saw what I was truly made of. But flash forward two years and it feels so made up. I'm tired of acting like I know what I'm doing. I'm sick of fronting like it's Christ I'm pursuing. I can already hear the criticism ensuing. Is she saved or is she not? I think her mind needs renewing. It's funny how the church claims to be a second home. It's funny how we Christians are so quick to eat our own. But no one has the balls to admit what to do, what they do when they're alone. I thought it was only the King of Kings who sat on a throne. I met a girl who said she doesn't really struggle in her faith. I'm sorry to tell you, honey, but that doesn't sound like faith. I don't think you get what this whole Christianity thing is about. But then I stop and ask myself, when was the last time I had any doubts? So quick to judge, but so slow to answer. Got too comfortable in my faith. I think comfort's a cancer. And I swear I'm dead serious when I say that, too. Sick of examining my own heart, so I turn my attention towards you. And maybe that's why people like Lauren Daigle and Clayton Jennings can't catch a break, all because they said something about being loving towards gays, and we're deceived into thinking the lust in our own hearts might go away if we front like it's not an abomination if you're straight. It's the same ad- Adam and Eve thing we've had from the beginning. We decide that rather than serve God, we'd rather be him. So rather than being Jesus to the whores and the thieves, we place them on trial like the God we believe in, and we claim to be Christian. 
But I tell you, brothers and sisters, our war is not with flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities who swore to do us in the chronic whisper in our heads saying, give in, give in. We're either the prodigal son or a self-righteous brother, but Jesus came for those who knew they needed a doctor. And you think you could spot the thief or the whore, but it's not so black and white when it comes to the door to the door of the little white church and the little white steeple and the little white middle-class American people. So I'll be the first to admit that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and I'm not all that into turning the other cheek. I don't always want to praise Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. In fact, more times than not, I find it a bore. In fact, more times than not, I'm comfortably numb, okay with becoming spiritually blind, deaf, and dumb. But writing this poem, I see a little more clear, and now my heart starts to cry, God, where are you? I thought you were here. And he says he never left, but my heart left long ago, not quite knowing when it planned on ever coming home. So I am the whore who sits next to you in the pews, and I am the thief robbing myself of genuine belief. So tell me, do you judge me? Wow. Well, thank you so much for your honesty. I really appreciate it. Um, I, it's an amazing poem. Can you just share just a little bit of like the background of... So at the time I was writing it, I was in sort of a state, sort of a phase in my faith that I'm still kind of in, but slowly coming out of, um, where I was sort of stagnant. I wasn't really doing anything. I wasn't necessarily going backwards, but I wasn't progressing either. And it was at a time, it, it kind of started to become very obvious to me that I wasn't growing in my faith. And yet I just didn't have that desire to grow anymore in my faith. And I was, you know, doing all the things, you know, I wasn't praying as much as I should have, but, you know, I prayed occasionally and, you know, I still went to church every Sunday. In fact, at the time I was going to two different churches because I would attend my um, family's church in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I would go to my friend's church um, and they would there were very different types of churches. Mm -hmm. One was the one in the morning was what I consider my church. It was a small um, Lutheran, Missouri Synod Lutheran church. I love my pastor there. I love just the community, but there were, there are not a lot of people there that are my age. Right. So I ended up, there, <laughs> there was a boy at the time that I really liked, and he <laughs> was very, and still is, very um, spiritual and very, you know, grounded in his faith. He actually wants to be a pastor. He's um, pursuing that right now. Um, and I think he'll do very well in it. But at the time I really liked him and he was like, come to my church. And he goes to a really big uh, non-denominational mega church here in the Valley that has like lots of campuses. Just to specify, I, I live in Surprise, Arizona, um, which is part of the Metro Phoenix area. Mm -hmm. And so there, I, I, probably won't say the name of the church, but it's a very large mega church with many campuses. It's very well known mm. here. And he goes to the largest campus over in Peoria, which is about a 20 minute drive from here. So I would, you know, make that drive out there. And so I was going to two churches a day and it started to feel like, and this is nothing against that church or anything like that. 
But I started to feel sort of disconnected from everyone because I would look around and there were two things, two very um, opposite things that I saw in that church. On the one hand, you know, there was a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of, you know, showing up and dressing right and looking the part and saying the things and, you know, doing all of that. But, you know, deep down, they're not, you know, super genuine about it. They're just kind of going to keep up appearances and, you know, to do their part every week to go to church and, you know, they might be serving there and, but it's, it's not, it's not genuine. Um, And then there, but there was another, so like I was used to, hypocrisy in the church. Uh, I think we all to a certain level are, and that's what turns a lot of people away from Christianity is Mm -hmm. that hypocrisy. But there was something else to it that made me feel even more uncomfortable. And it was the fact that a lot of the people there seemed really into it. And so, you know, um, we would be in worship and, you know, those places, it's typically very dark. They have all the lights. It's very loud and crowded and energetic and pumped up in the music. You know, they put a couple slow songs in there, but it's generally very, very upbeat. And everyone's, especially in the teen ministry, everyone's sort of jumping up and down. It's very, it's very crazy and sometimes a little stressful. <laughs> Especially if you grew up in a small Lutheran church, was your was your Lutheran church more liturgical, or was it still contemporary at all? Uh, we would go. They have a traditional service, but we would go to the contemporary one. And I actually went to a church before we started attending that one. Um, we started attending that one when I was about eleven or twelve. But we went to a church before that for a about a year or two. That was a non-denominational church as well, or at least they touted themselves as a non-denominational church, but they were really more assemblies of God. And um, it was very, very similar worship atmosphere and very similar sort of sermons. But that church ended up, my parents started to notice some really shady things going on with the money and the leadership. And then later that I started hearing from friends who heard from friends, you know, around town because surprise is uh, quickly growing, but it's still like a pretty, like everyone, everyone kind of knows someone who knows someone who knows someone, you know, right. so it it's still, yeah, exactly. And so some rumors that church kind of started to develop some rumors about it and some, um, kind of a reputation of some sexual impropriety there. So here you are, you're trying to figure out in your own life, like, all right, what am I going to make of this? And is this legitimate? Is this just some show? I'm kind of, yeah, I think I'm getting the picture here. Mm -hmm. How are you doing? How are you doing just kind of emotionally and with your family and, and relationships? It didn't really cause a lot of strife with my family. They were all very supportive of me going. They understood that, like, I, you know, there weren't a lot of people my age at my church. There was a lot of older folks at the church that I attended. And when we first joined that church, um, when I was about 11 or 12, the small Lutheran church, um, there were a lot of families there. And then slowly as time went on, life happened and a lot of people ended up leaving, not for any particular reasons, just, you know, circumstances changed. And, um, and maybe it was that the church wasn't as quote unquote fun as 
say, a church like the mega church that I started attending. So what I was saying, uh, going back to the two things that I noticed with that church that I was attending that I, I ended up, I don't, I no longer attend that one anymore. Cause one, I aged out of the high school, um, ministry because I'm, I'm 19, I'm graduated yeah. from high school. Um, so I aged out and I didn't want to like become super involved with it. I didn't want to volunteer because I didn't feel a connection there. And the two things that I noticed there and the reason I didn't feel so much of a connection and the reason it really like started to like make me question my faith was I, so I mentioned that I saw hypocrisy, but the other thing that I saw that was even more hard for me was that it seemed like it was working for a lot of people. A lot oh. of these girls, because um, they separate like the guys and the girls, and it's such a huge church that they all go into their own little small groups. Um, so I was in this small group with these girls who had already known each other for a while, and I kind of joined in there, and um, I noticed that a lot of these girls were like very um, into it, and they were like, "I was reading my Bible the other day, and I was doing this," and um, they had all of the. <laughs> that's where the line comes from. The they buy all the T-shirts, they go on all the missions, they post Bible verses on their Insta stories every night and day. They're like very, very into it, and they talk about it a lot. And then you go on their social media, and they've got Bible verses posted, and they're posting what they're doing, serving at their church. You know, they seem very, very into it. And when you see them, and when I saw them in worship, they would be so into it. And I saw other people, and I saw my friend, the guy that I liked, he was very into it. And I just didn't feel that way. I didn't feel... I didn't feel any like sort of passion or as they put it, the very, there's so many, as you probably know, there's so many like Christian, Christianese and mm, like right. different terminologies that they use. Like we're on fire for God and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I didn't feel on fire for God, if you know what right, I mean. Right. So and then you're wondering, are you missing something or exactly. is this? You also mentioned mm -hmm. in your, in your poem you have the, the lines where it says, I met a girl who said she doesn't really struggle with her, in her faith. I'm sorry to tell you, honey, but that doesn't sound like faith. I don't think you get what this whole Christianity thing is about. But then I stop and ask myself, when was the last time I had any doubts? Can you explain that those lines a little bit more? Yeah, I would love to. So I think those lines, whenever I've shared the poem with anyone or I've read it or I've performed it, um, those lines sort of get overlooked or people sort of like kind of jump to conclusions with what those mean. And people often come up to me and are like, I'm really glad that you, and I just want to clarify, I don't have any problem with this interpretation. I think that's the great thing about writing and art and yeah. um, literature okay. is you can, it speaks to everyone differently. And I think that's what's so amazing about it is I feel like kind of a prism, you know, I have one experience goes into me and then I kind of, put that out there in my art and in my poetry and anyone can, you know, it hits different people different ways. So I don't have any problem with this interpretation, but I think there's something that uh, in it that people miss and I might be, I just need to grow as a writer and conveying my messages. But people talk about, you know, I, I really liked how you discuss faith. I have a lot of doubt in my faith as well. And something <laughs> that I wanted to get across in this was 
I, I did meet a girl there at that church who said, um, cause we, in our small groups, they would, you know, they would have us all go to service together. Like all of the teens in the teen ministry, boys and girls, we were all, we would all go to service and listen to the message. And then we would break out into our small groups mm-hmm. and one, we would get, you know, conversation starters or questions that we would answer. And one of the questions was like, where, what are the areas that you struggle with most in your faith? And this girl was like, oh, I don't really struggle with my faith very much. Like I don't struggle with a lot of doubt. You know, I, I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm very close with Jesus and I read my Bible all the time. And I, I, just kind of rely on faith. And I was listening to her and the thought that crossed my mind was, wow, you don't struggle with any doubt at all. Because for me, I've, in my own faith experience, I have struggled with a lot of doubt. And something that occurred to me is I I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians kind of view doubt And this is sort of ingrained in some people from, you know, their past religious experiences or experiences with churches. You know, you're not supposed to doubt that. You have to have faith. You're not supposed to ask questions. And people often view doubt as a bad thing. But in my experience, if you're not doubting, at least to some degree or level, I'm not saying you should wallow in your doubt. I think you should ask questions and then you should dive into the research, which is what I did. And you should find the answers or at least attempt to. And if you're not doubting at least a little bit, it means you're not thinking about it enough. You're just kind of going through the motions. You're not really, because you have to, there's so many things in the Bible that don't make any sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're you're not not willing to wrestle with any of these ideas or have real conversations, right. And try to look for real answers and even ask the hard questions, you know, then, Mm -hmm. yeah, then that's a pretty shallow faith. um, And it could be, you know, the reason I started going to that church in the first place, I mean, in the first place, it was because the boy I liked went there. But eventually it was just like, mm-hmm. I want to like go there and I want to like, I want to like make more Christian friends like I made at Crosswise because I ended up starting uh, going to this church, I think after the first or second year of Crosswise, I can't quite remember. And um, I made such good friends at Crosswise and I'm still like, my best friends are from there and we still like, talk really true. every day. We, yeah. yeah, we still talk every day and um, we're very close and um, yeah, great relationships. Really, really loved it. And I go to them for a lot of advice on all things, including my faith. And we just sort of have discussions about it and it's really good. And so I went there kind of hoping, but not expecting that I would find the same degree of intimacy in conversation. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I had my hopes up and I, so I started going there for that reason. And I just found that it was either whenever I brought up something in the group that you know, it was just a different idea, you know, and at crosswise you bring up different ideas and everyone's like, let's talk about that. But there it was like, you either knew the particular theology that they were trying to teach and you said the right thing mm. or 
at least that's how I felt. I don't know if that's everyone's experience there, but that's how I felt is like you say the right thing or you kind of get shut down. At least that's how it was mm-hmm. in my group. Um, yeah, they were telling you how to think and then you were yeah. just regurgitating it without really wrestling with it or processing it. Yeah, f- I, I don't think that speaks for everyone there, but that was definitely the majority. It has more to do with a certain ethos of an organization or a, or a religious community that actually is encouraging young people to show that they're team players or to say, mm-hmm. if you really love Jesus, you're going to demonstrate this by being gullible. The, the more compliant you are, or the more, you know, that you show that you don't have any problems with any of the, the conversations or any of the texts, mm-hmm. then you're going to be rewarded for that. But what are, what are some of the things, could you give me just an example of something that you know, early on, you you found at least hard to immediately process? There were a lot of things. This actually has a a bit of a longer story to it. I would not have, I think, attended Crosswise, and I don't think I would have gotten as into my faith. I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be speaking to you if I did not address, uh, if I did not go through what I went through at 16, at at age Mm. 16. When I was 16, I, uh, well, ever since I was young, I've struggled with my mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's just something, something that I have to deal with. I I know a lot of people struggle with mental health. I know that on my dad's side of the family, panic disorder is a trait of Mm -hmm. their family. And so I've always kind of dealt with anxiety to a certain extent and I've definitely dealt with depression. And when I was 16, I remember waking up, let's see, January 2nd of 2017. And I just experienced a, de- a level of depression that I had never, ever experienced before. Um, I had experienced depression um, to the point of self-harm before. Um, which I quickly got out of. Thankfully, I did not fall into that Mm -hmm. very long. And I had, you know, I I had a lot of struggles with it, but I was always able to sort of like bounce back pretty quickly. Um, But when I was 16 and I woke up on January 2nd, I, it was very cold and gray. It was overcast outside. And I remember just laying in bed and going, I wish I didn't wake up today. Mm. Um, little did I know that the next few months, honestly, the next year, but especially the next few months were, would be probably the hardest months of my life, mental health wise. Um, I fell into a very, very deep, crippling depression. And it was kind of crazy because nothing outside, like nothing in my actual life changed. There was nothing traumatic. There was no big stress going on in my family or in my personal life that was caught, no drama that was causing me to be more anxious or sad or anything. It was simply, I just woke up one day and I didn't want to be alive anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I, so it was really bad. I was suicidal. I, um, I ended up finding out that it was 
partially caused by a hormonal imbalance I was having. I won't go into too much detail into that. I was able to uh, make some lifestyle changes and take some supplements that eventually got me to a place where it wasn't so intense anymore. I was able to manage it and kind of um, get back on track with my mental and physical health, um, which are very closely linked. I found that out. Um, and well, that's if I, if I can interject, that was kind of one of the pieces of the crosswise conversation was the way that we, we sometimes downplay how much there is a connection between our bodies and our, and our minds. And we, we are always going to ask, you know, well, what's wrong with you, Autumn? What, what, what bad thing is causing this, to happen. Mm-hmm. And that kind of can be infuriating, infuriating, especially if people say, well, look, look around you. Everything's great. You have no reason to be sad. Uh, now people kind of, I mean, this is true for me. I, I'm more of a guy who deals with anxiety. Pretty much that's my thing. <laughs> uh, but, but when people will say, Hey, look, everything's great. Why are you anxious? And I'd say, that's, that's why I'm frustrated right now Yeah, <laughs> because I don't really know, but my body's telling me that something terrifying is about to happen. No, and I completely, I'm with you there, Jeff. I can totally relate because there are times right now I I do MMA, which is mixed martial arts, and I go to that gym and I really love it. And I have a friend or a couple friends at that gym, but one uh, guy friend in particular, and I remember one time I went there and he was like, how are you doing today? Um, As he would ask every day. And I was like, honestly, I'm just feeling really anxious right now. I'm excited to get to working out because I just, I'm so stressed. And he was like, well, why are you stressed? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Like nothing happened. I'm just anxious. And I feel like something bad's going to happen for no reason. If I'm not mistaken, Stacey, you're like a certified yoga instructor? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yoga was actually one of the things, especially yin yoga, um, Mm -hmm. that I discovered was really helpful for me with my anxiety. But like you were saying, the connection between our bodies and our minds, it's just, (sighs) it helped me immensely. I love yoga. Yeah, yeah, Yin offers that space where, you know, some of the, I mean, the, you know, all yoga, I've, I've enjoyed, you know, several different types or whatever, but Yin especially because it does allow for more of that meditative space, you know, to really try to connect with your your body and, you know, and, um, you know, just, I don't know, I, when I would find at the time when I would find like working and everything so stressful like when I first discovered yoga I realized like this is what I need you know and and I could just Mm -hmm. go into this space you know for this hour and put everything else aside for a second and just focus on on me for a moment and that was super powerful and 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 healing and helpful and breathe that's the thing I I, when (laughs) even when autumn when you were talking about it you you took a breath you know and and that's what it helped (laughs) It helps us to remember, you know, to, to do that. And so for me, like, it's good that Stacy, that's kind of her speciality. I think a lot of times people don't even know about restorative and yin type, uh, you know, practices because they, they might just not have that in their schedule, what they're normally yeah, usually doing. Usually it's vinyasa. I mean, that's the powerful one. Yeah. And then and people, they, you know, there's a lot of people that just feel like they need to get this, you know, this intense workout in order to justify, you know, be, and, and, 
Yin can still no challenge you in those no ways. Yoga is hard. <laughs> yes. I got made fun of. I mentioned one time at my gym that I like did yoga and they were like, oh, well, we do a lot harder stuff here. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, but like yoga is difficult in its own right. It's very straining on the body if you don't do it right. And even if you are doing it right, if you're not used to doing it, it can be quite intense know your body's limits and you know mm-hmm. you know that level of pushing just enough that you you know you'll see growth but don't you know worry about pushing too hard to go into the full right. expression of a pose because that's where people get hurt and what I like about that is it offers you the opportunity to basically test your test your limits but also know your limits and mm-hmm. and that's an important balance in life <laughs> you know yoga and, and physical exercise in general um really like uh, there's a lot of lessons you can take from it that you can apply to life itself yep even just lying on your back for 10 minutes has has uh, really been challenging for people. I've, I've yeah. seen people start crying and have to leave mm-hmm. because, you know, when we think of something being difficult, it's, um, it's not just the strenuousness of it. And so as much as I've used it, and you, you're saying, of course, Autumn, that you've, you've used it too to, to deal with anxiety, it's mm-hmm. also possible that, you know, going through that process of having to quiet yourself down and actually face the things that you're afraid of, you know, it's an important thing to do, but it's also challenging. It's actually a lot harder sometimes to relax than it is to stress out about something. <laughs> it's, very, it's very easy to allow yourself to spiral down that hole of like, what's what if this happens? What if that happens? But to just relax, and especially if you're a Christian, to kind of put it in God's hands is incredibly difficult. I think that's what I'm struggling with most uh, at this moment in my spiritual walk is um, trusting God. Mm. And, and um, trusting how so, like. J- just trusting him with my life in general, with my mental health and with um, my future. Cause you know, I'm 19, I'm getting ready to go to college this year. And um, there's just certain things that have happened in my life recently with, you know, family friends that have, really shaken me up a bit, I think, Mm. that I'm still trying to work through and process through. And I'm writing poetry about the particular case I'm talking about while I was at Crosswise for my last time. So sad. For my last time this past summer, I, I was at Crosswise and then I ended up taking a trip to San Francisco to visit my aunt for a week after that. And when I got back home after like two weeks of being out of town, I, the day I got back, I got some really hard news of, without going into too much detail, Mm -hmm. a family friend while I was away, um, he committed suicide and and he was a Christian and his family were close with his family and they're all Christians and a very good family, very, you know, genuine in their faith and very just, just good people. And, um, apparently, you know, he had been struggling for a while and the doctors put him on medication and it didn't react well. He went off the grid for mm-hmm. a few days and yeah. And so going back to, I didn't really process that 
at first for the first few months that I knew it. I thought I had processed through that. And I was like, wow, Autumn, you're really handling this really well. And then <laughs> my seasonal depression kicked in when mm. the holidays came around because that's usually when my depression is the worst. And I think a lot of people can relate to that when winter comes. Uh, mm-hmm. It just, for whatever reason, the days are shorter. It's cold. It's dark. It's not as, you know, and then you've got oh, Christmas. Yeah. You've got the holidays there to highlight how happy you're supposed to be <laughs> and you realize that you're yeah. not that happy. And so it really hit me hard when I first heard it, but then, you know, I kind of just distracted myself with the other things. And then during holiday break, I realized that it was still there and I um I started thinking back to my own depression and how I was suicidal and I was struggling a lot in my faith. And I was, I I had always given it up to God that, you know, he was the one who pulled me out of that ultimately. And, um, and then seeing that happen to a Christian and he struggled with the same things I did. And what's even worse is he tried to get help and it still didn't help. Mm. It's like, can I trust God to help me? through that. And this is something that I haven't really (laughs) discussed. I've discussed with my two best friends from Crosswise um, about this because we talk all the time, but I haven't even really gone into this with my family a lot. Um, You know, just really struggling with that trust and being like, what the heck happened here? How could you allow this to happen? God, a lot of those doubts and questions. The good thing about it though, is it's kind of what's pulling me out of my phase of stagnation with my faith and going back to um, when I was 16 and I was really depressed. I, my depression sort of turned into a very existential depression. I started questioning the existence of God in the first place, you know, does God exist? I I really started to question what I had been raised and taught to believe. And I think that's normal and that's healthy, but it, it become, it became very like critical for me in that state of like constant panic and anxiety and despair. I just started like really questioning things and I was questioning the existence of God. And furthermore, I was questioning the problem of evil and suffering and what is all of these horrible things that go on in the world. I've always been like fascinated by true crime and things like those things that my mom got me into it. Um, And you just get faced with all of the horrible things that people do and that pe- at that happened to people and just the evil in this world. And you wonder like, what is the point of all of this? Is there an end, you know, is there, is there something that's going to justify the suffering? And I, I think a lot of people sort of try to push it away or ignore it, or people don't really wrestle with it unless it hits too close to home. But for me, I always just look at those sorts of situations and I try to put myself in their shoes. I'm a very empathetic person and I'm really sensitive and I'm kind of coming to terms with that right now because it's something about myself that I've sort of denied in the past. And uh, right now I'm coming to terms with that. I am a very sensitive and empathetic person. And so I put myself in those people's shoes. I was like, what if that happened to me? You know, how would I handle that? And I don't know how I would handle that, to be honest. And so those were the sorts of questions that were going through my mind. And it became sort of this matter of like, 
I kind of came to the conclusion that if God doesn't exist and there isn't an ultimate plan in place and we're all just sort of like here just because no one really knows why we're just an accident, then this suffering is sort of pointless. I mean, people can put a point behind it and a meaning behind it for the short term, but ultimately, you know, what is, what is the ultimate point? And there, you know, will justice be served? And it, so I ended up diving in to my faith really deep. I, cause I didn't want to wallow in my doubts. It became kind of like, I felt, it felt very critical for me. And so I started studying, you know, all of the arguments for God, um, the doctrine, the arguments for Jesus. Cause I, I got to the point where I was like, okay, God exists, but like, you know, what about Jesus? And I started looking into that. I spent hours and hours each day. And because I wasn't sleeping or eating, you know, each night, um, sort of, you know, diving deep into all of this research. So I got very, um, very familiarized with what Christianity and Christian doctrine and all of, and the Bible, all of that says. That's why in the poem it has a line. I know all the theology. I've studied all the lines, but when it comes to praying, I just don't have the time. And so once I was kind of grounded in my knowledge of my faith and I was secure in this makes sense. There's a lot of evidence to back it up. I know a lot of people will debate that and will debate it till the end of time. But for me personally, it was enough that I was able to make that commitment. I had already been confirmed, but this was my real like personal confirmation and made that commitment. And from that point on, my faith has never, my relationship with God has never been quite the same. It's been like, I'm committed to this no matter what, even if I don't want to be, <laughs> you know, because either God exists and this, and he has an ultimate purpose and a plan for, you know, restoration and um, sanctification and justification, or life is absurd. And, and I realized beyond that, that I was going to keep having questions and, there weren't enough answers to satisfy all the questions I would have. And you can like be a really big theology buff and still not have a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And so it really didn't come to a head. And I've never like really been emotionally. Um, I'm not one of those people, I guess I have friends who are like my Pentecostal friend that I mentioned in the poem who are like, I had a vision or God spoke to me or whatever. That's never really happened to me. I'm very le left brain in terms of my faith. You know, I'm very logical and mm -hmm. you know, that's where I have that sort of approach. People have their own approaches. Um, that's mine. Um, so I, I've never really been one for quote unquote religious experience. But I remember one night I was sort of, I had been doing a lot, a lot better in my mental health. And I remember one night I was laying in bed and I started to feel the anxiety coming back on and I started to shake and I started to like have trouble breathing and feeling sick. And I was like, God, I can't take this anymore. Like I please, like I can't handle one more panic attack right now. Like I'm just not in a place to be able to handle it right now. Like, please, please just take this away from me. And I had prayed this before to him plenty of times and 
nothing happened. I still had my panic attack. It still was horrible. And, but this particular instance, I was laying in bed and I was having this panic attack in the dark in the middle of the night. And I prayed and I felt this like just instantaneous peace wash over me. And it felt like I couldn't move. And it felt like someone suddenly appeared in my bed with me and was like, I was lying on my side and it was like they were um, laying right against my back and they were just embracing me from behind. And I felt like this heat on the back of my neck and on my back and just like traveled all the way down my spine and just this warm embrace and this peace. And suddenly like my mind just like went quiet and I started to like drift to sleep and it was really wild. And then I realized what was happening and I like woke back up again and I was like, what the heck just happened? And it kind of like faded away. But it was at that point that I realized that it's really good to research and to know your faith and to always ask questions and always um, confront your doubts. But you need that relationship with God, that personal relationship through prayer that just doesn't make logical sense to uh, rational sense to other people. But it's, it's just something between you and God and that it's the Holy Spirit. And that's what really, that's what really got me to a place of peace and to just not ask so many questions and just kind of put my trust in him. Mm. And, um, yeah. So after that, it was a lot easier to just quiet my mind and to put faith in God and to be good with that. And after that, I was, as they would say at the mega church on fire for God <laughs> and, <laughs> and for a good year or two, about a year and a half, I would be very open about my faith. I was, it was like, you know, I wouldn't say that that's my testimony and that's when I became a Christian. I think I was a Christian before that, but that's when I was really invested in my faith and I, I found um, my personal relationship with God. And I just like was very open and very like reading my Bible, praying, just talking to God constantly felt so good (laughs) and you had um, ownership right you you you, it was real it was for you it was you know what I mean exactly what you needed not just what you were told to believe it was was, yeah it wasn't my parents faith Stacy and I had a very similar experience growing up we were not all that thrilled with an entertainment style um, emotionalism Mm -hmm. right so we I associated that with kind of gullibility and being silly. And so I was too smart for that. You know, we're not going to deal with that element. And, and the younger me would be very angry at me, <laughs> but I, I discovered the, the tradition of Christian mystics through a book a student gave me where they were talking about the mysticism of Martin Luther. And then I was reading deeply with um, uh, Julian of Norwich. And I realized that what I had, what I had not allowed myself to do was, being relaxed enough and not so defensive that I was keeping an actual understanding of God's reality and presence and the connection that we have to each other and God. I was keeping that away because I thought, you know, I couldn't trust anything emotional because so many of the bad religious people in my life 
had used emotion to kind of manipulate me. You know, they put this guitar chord out and now I'm supposed to cry. And now if I, if I cry, I'm going to go up and and give my heart to Jesus. But I (laughs) I felt I didn't really, I wasn't in the mood to be manipulated. Mm -hmm. And yet, and yet I was also finding myself unable to, uh, to receive that thing that as, as it now turns out, we, we both have is kind of wrestling with that anxiety. Mm -hmm. The one thing I would also say though, to you and anybody else who's listening and, and, thinking, Hey, I I need some of that. One of the things more recently that I had trouble with was after a kind of mystical experience, kind of like as profound, like what you shared was very, that's very stunning, right? That's not the normal, just, you know, happy feelings you have when you're singing a song. And I had about a year where I couldn't, I couldn't be depressed. I mean, I just had a whole year where I couldn't be depressed. And then when I finally did, I freaked out because I thought, oh no, is it gone forever? Am I going to go back? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I, I was like, we talk about surfing the Dow. I, I was kind of crestfallen, right? <laughs> yeah. So anybody who is interested in or enjoys thinking about and, and practices related to mysticism, it's important to realize that if you're looking for something that's going to just, you know, have be a snap of the fingers and all of your physiological struggles, all of the 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 uh, the kind of patterns of negative self talk, if that's all going to go away instantly, it's not always the case that it does, and mm-hmm. so you don't want to lose hope. For me, those moments are reminders that it's out there, so you don't give up, even mm. when you know, even when it's another winter and it's dark and it's hard. That's why we moved out of Seattle. It's a beautiful <laughs> place. True. But get yourself to some sunshine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, get I can vitamin D. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say that the future of your relationship with church and Christianity might be? Um, well, I'm always going to be if there's anything I learned, it's that my faith is as much if not more so uh in God's hands than uh, as it is in mine. It's by His Holy Spirit that we really come to faith and learn to love Him. My best friend, he I think he put it in really good term, or he put it really well when we were talking one night. Um, he said, us on our own, in our sinfulness and by our flesh alone, we don't want a relationship with God. We don't want that. We want our sin. And it's by His Holy Spirit that we learn to that we begin to desire God and desire relationship with God and desire repentance. And I, I completely agree with him there. So I, I kind of put that in God's hands a long time ago. If there's, I'm still working on praying more consistently, but if there's any prayer I say the most, it's God, forgive me for any future, you know, any times in the future that I stray from you or I, I don't want you in my life or anything like that, please don't let go of me. Um, you know, even then, uh, I was talking to my friend, the guy that I mentioned earlier that I used to really like, and, um, we went to the one who goes to the mega church. I was talking to him one time about it cause we're still friends. And I was like, it's not that I don't desire God, or a relationship with God. I deeply yearn for a relationship with God. I really, like, if I didn't have that in my life, my life would feel very incomplete. Um, 
but I don't always desire to desire God. Mm. I don't, there's a part of me that doesn't like, doesn't like that I need God. I want to, I want, I I recognize that I need God desperately. I need Jesus, (laughs) but I don't like that. I need God. I want to be independent. I think I'm, it's like this very twisted thought process where I think I'm weak without God. And I think that's how I got into this more stagnant phase in my faith that brought me to write this poem that brought me to really, you know, doubting my faith and, um, going back to that girl who was talking about how, you know, she didn't really struggle in her faith. I was like, that doesn't really sound like faith. You know, at the end of that line, it says, but then I stop and ask myself, when was the last time I had any doubts? And I realized that I had not been having doubts. I hadn't been thinking about my faith very much. I had just sort of been going through the motions and that's what really drove me to, um, write this poem. Um, so, I think I, I I don't think anything can separate separate me from God's love. Um, as for my relationship with organized religion, I've had some difficult experiences with organized religion growing up. Um, I think it can be a really it can it can be good, but it can also be really harmful in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I, that's why I really like this podcast that you guys have, because we really do need to address the way the church really harms people and traumatize them, tra- traumatizes them and actually causes them to kind of recoil f- from anything, you know, Christianity related or religion or church related, anything like that, and get kind of a sour taste in their mouth when they think about it. Because there's a lot of really harmful things that people do, especially in terms of like judging people a lot. We kind of put it, we kind of put ourselves in the place of God and think that we, we now, because we're Christians, we can call out sin and we should recognize sin for what it is. We shouldn't be like, oh, that's okay. That's okay. Like we should stand for what the Bible says. Absolutely. Of course. Um, but I think something that you brought up in a past episode on your podcast was the difference between judgment and discernment. And I think we need more discernment and less judgment and condemnation. And I think that's that's something that my family definitely struggled with. It actually drove us away from the church for a long time. And when I was a little kid, I didn't really, we didn't go to church. We didn't start going to church till I was about 10. Okay. Uh, we tried, we tried Catholic church for a short time, but between my baby brother crying in service mm-hmm. and garnering a lot of dirty looks and me punching a boy in catechism, uh, oh, it wow. didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, this isn't working, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> Oh, I just thank you so much for everything that you are sharing and just being so open. Do you have any final thoughts or any advice that you might, you know, offer or give to any young young people maybe kind of going through some of the similar things that 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 you struggled through? Um, well, regarding mental health, please 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 don't lose hope. Um, you cannot 
I know it feels like that that in the moment, and that's very much the nature of depression is you feel like you're going to be stuck with it forever and you're never going to escape and it's hopeless. You cannot feel the exact same th- same way for the rest of your life. You will there's mountains and valleys some some periods of time may last longer or shorter than others. You will eventually move past this. So please, please don't give up hope. Reach out for help. Anything, talk to somebody that you trust and please just reach out for help and don't give up hope because you will make it out. I thought that, I I thought for sure I ended up like breaking down on my 17th birthday because I couldn't believe I made it to my 17th birthday. Um, And I did you know, you, you can make it out. Um, in terms of faith, if you're struggling with doubts or if you're where I was and you're, you're not even sure, like you still believe in God, but you're not even really sure if God exists. Some Many times during that time, I found myself praying to a God I wasn't sure was even there. Try praying, even if you don't, even believe that he's there or that he's listening or that he even exists. There is power in praying to a God that you don't, you're not even sure exists because he will eventually work in and through that. At least that's what I found from my experience. I want to also ask if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with your mom that we think she's really, really groovy. We don't (laughs) know your mom. And, uh, and at the very beginning of your poem, you say that your mom told you that, it was a true faith is very lonely. My mom said it gets lonelier when you have true faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is actually, I remember when she said that, that's something that my pastor actually says a lot. And he told her and she then told me. And that's actually, I was sitting on her bed and I was talking to her about how I didn't feel like I fit in at this church and I didn't know if there was something wrong with me or whatever. And I felt very lonely. And my mom said that. And I like sat there for a minute and then just kind of processing that. And then I left and I came in my room and I opened my computer. And if she hadn't said that, I might've not written the po- this poem because that I, <laughs> that's what inspired the poem. That was the catalyst. Sometimes. Yeah. You just got to get that first line and the rest of it flows. Exactly. Oh man. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that openness that is a mark of true faith because you're not afraid. You're not asking for permission to be, authentic in this faith, you're just going to do it. And that's a, yeah. that's at least a, a really good start. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on with us and talking about this because honestly, it, you know, without people being, you know, willing to have these open conversations and really wrestle with, you know, exactly what you are going through. Sometimes people just think they're all alone, you know, that they are the only ones feeling this way and that, you know, they don't know what to do with it. And they, you know, they feel like a fraud or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and so by you being willing to share and, and share about your experience, I think that that will bring comfort to, I mean, even if it just brought comfort to one other person out there, but I know it'll do so much more than that. And I appreciate you willing to come on and talk to us about all this. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. 
You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much. Hey, friends. When we find things that we really dig, we definitely want to share them with you. And Boondockers Welcome is one of the coolest things that we've discovered while we've been on the road. All you have to do is pay a small annual fee and then you get access to staying with folks all across the U.S. And we have just been completely blown away by the instant community we found. And we've made lifetime friends that have gone above and beyond with their kindness and their generosity. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link there where you can sign up and we think you'll enjoy it and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or a camper with a toilet and cooking facilities and then you can stay for free all around the country. Give it a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And we hope you enjoy it as much as we do.